chapter 2, and we're going to look at verses 28 and 29 this morning. Starting in verse 28, the Apostle John writes the following. He says, and now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for being kind, for being good and gracious to us, for being at work in all things, for our good and for your glory. Lord, we do rejoice with these parents that stood up here just a few moments ago and publicly just expressed their absolute dependence upon you to train up their children in your ways. And Lord, we ask that you would save those kids. And Lord, we ask that you'd bring salvation to anyone who's here who does not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And Lord, we ask that as we get into your word this morning, that you would encourage us in our faith and that you would help to establish us in our faith, that we might be rooted and grounded in this good news about Jesus Christ, that, Lord, we would abide in Jesus as we wait for Christ to return. And so, Lord, would you accomplish all of your good purposes in the time that we have left, that we might grow and that you might be glorified in all things. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Have you ever been caught off guard? I don't mean the way that Glenn just stood up and sort of took over the announcements. That was sort of planned, right, Glenn? So that Phil wasn't caught off guard. I think it was meant to look like he was caught off guard, but he wasn't caught off guard, just to let you know. There was, they're planning so that you men would just show up to this men's meeting. And I would just add my voice to Glenn's to that. These men's meetings are very important, and God just uses them as just a means of grace to help us grow in our faith together. And again, it's going to be on joy. um, And Glenn leads those meetings for us. And so, Glenn, I'm grateful to God for you. And the way you help us grow in our faith in these ways. But I don't mean being caught off guard in that way, but have you, have you ever planned maybe to have people over to your home and say, hey, why don't you come on over at 6.30 and then maybe have them show up an hour early or 30 minutes early and your house really isn't ready for them and maybe you're not ready for them yet? 
Or maybe, hey, you've had somebody just sort of show up unannounced to your house. Like you didn't actually invite them over. And so that used to be a thing. I know it used to be a thing in our church where, what would we call that? I can't remember. Crashing. That's right. Crashing. Have you crashed? Who have you crashed lately? It was a thing. Part of our culture where people would just be like, let's go crash somebody. You just go and show up, knock on the door, and you go and hang out for the evening. And so it was kind of expected so you kind of have that in the back of your mind if you heard somebody knocking on your door. But, but some people like those things and some people don't because you're not always prepared for those people to crash your house. And so you, they show up and your home's just not in the place you would like it to be. And you might not physically be in the place you'd like to be as well. Or maybe you're a kid and you've showed up to, to college or you showed up to class and you were just expecting sort of this regular day and you were excited about it meaning you had no quizzes and you had no tests you could just kind of show up and just kind of coast your way through the day and when you got there your teacher said surprise an unexpected quiz or maybe an unexpected test that you weren't ready for and hadn't planned on one Christmas a few years ago we were expecting my in-laws to come and visit for a week. And uh, I don't know what your family does. When people are planning to come visit us for a week, what my wife loves to do is get our house as perfect as possible, as clean as possible, the moment they walk in the door. It doesn't matter what happens after they walk in the door. It's just when they walk into the door, their room that they're staying in needs to be a certain way. Their bathroom that they're going to use, it just needs to look a certain way. The rest of the house needs to look a certain way. And so she, she likes to do that when people show up. And so we're expecting them on a certain day. But we find out that day as we're sort of sitting around waiting for them, planning out the next day when they show up, that they're actually going to be there this day. And so they surprised us. We didn't expect them to be this day, and it kind of worked out for some people in the family, but maybe not my wife as much. Not all people like to be surprised like this. Most people, probably all of us, would say, we kind of like to just have a heads up once in a while, just a just a sort of, hey, this might happen so that we might be able to be prepared for guests to come over. Students like to kind of have a heads up, hey, there might be a quiz or you're going to have a quiz or you're going to have this test. Again, some people like surprises as long as they're good ones, but most of us would probably say we prefer that heads up. Well, this morning, John is giving us a heads up. John is wanting us to be prepared for a future event that is coming. He doesn't know exactly when this future event's coming, but as believers, we need to know this event's coming so that we're not surprised by it, but instead we are prepared for it. Each and every day that we're living, this day included, we're, we're living this day in light of this future event, and this future event is of Christ's second coming. And so we see this throughout all of Scripture, that, that Jesus is on his throne, reigning and ruling over all things, and one day he's going to get off that throne and he's going to come back and he's going to judge the living and the dead. And this future event, it's called the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now I want you to imagine for a moment right now 
that Jesus was going to come back today to judge the living and the dead. That, that you would see him face to face today. I'm not saying he's going to do this. I'm not predicting anything. I'm just wanting us for the sake of illustration. Just imagine that this day that we see throughout scripture happened today. Would you be ready to see Jesus face to face? Or would you find yourself scrambling to kind of get ready to meet him? Would you be excited if he just showed up? Would you be confident to be able to stand before him face to face? Or would you find yourself maybe being a little ashamed of who you are? Or the things that you're currently doing with the life that he has given you to live. This is the question that John asks us in these two verses here. See, John doesn't want us to be ashamed to meet Jesus face to face. But instead, he writes this letter to us so that we would be prepared for this day. When we see Jesus face to face, that we would be able to stand before him with, with great hope. And great confidence. See what we're going to learn in these two verses this morning is this. Since Jesus is coming back to earth to judge the living and the dead. We must abide in him if we're going to enjoy this day. If we know he's coming back and he is. If we are going to enjoy this meeting we have with him, if we're going to have confidence to stand before him, John is telling us that that we must abide in Christ. Now we're going to dig into this truth by taking a look at two points from our text. In our first point, we learned this. Abiding in Jesus gives us confidence to one day stand before him face to face. So abiding in Jesus gives us confidence to one day stand before him face to face. Now at the end of verse 27, John commanded his readers to abide in Jesus. And he gave them this command at the end of verse 27 as a a means of grace and a a practical tool for them so that that they wouldn't be fooled by the false teachers who were seeking to disrupt their faith at the time. And so there were false teachers who were seeking to lead these believers astray into believing in something else about Jesus or something away from Jesus. And what John wrote to them, he's saying, no, 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 abide in Christ. Don't move on from Christ. Remain in him. And so as we move to our text, he immediately gives this same command to them, saying, abide in him, abide in Jesus. Look again at verse 28. It says, and now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. Abiding in Jesus protects us from false teachers and their lies. It keeps us rooted And grounded in the good news about Jesus. It keeps us from wandering away from Jesus. Who is our only hope and means for salvation. 
It protects us. It guards us. And it gives us confidence to one day stand before Jesus. This word abide here, it it means to remain faithfully in, and I would say focused on Jesus. What John is commanding us to do here is to never, ever move away from the gospel. To never, ever move away from Jesus to something different, to anything different, but instead to focus all of our efforts and attention on Christ. He wants us to always live a gospel-centered life. I know if you're a part of this church or you're part of any faithful church, you probably hear that that phrase, gospel-centered, gospel-centered. We want everything to be gospel-centered. Well, the reason we want everything to be gospel-centered is is kind of found here in this verse because we're called to be gospel-centered people. And by that, we mean to be abiding in Jesus Christ, to be remaining faithfully in and focused on the good news about Jesus Christ, to put on gospel lenses as soon as we wake up in the morning so that whatever we look at, whatever we think about is being filtered through this good news about Jesus Christ because we're seeking to abide in him. We're seeking to remain focused on him. And never move away from him because there's major benefit from it. Because he's the one who died on the cross to save us. Because he's the one who protects us. He's the one who guards us. He's the one who's reigning and ruling over all things. And he's the one we're going to stand before when he returns to judge the living and the dead. To reward those who have faithfully trusted in him alone for their salvation. And so being gospel-centered, it's biblical. It's not just a, a buzzword. It's kind of another way of saying abide in Christ. Remain in Jesus. Stay focused on him. And the reason John goes after this is because we have an enemy in this world called Satan who wants to wants us to forget Christ. He wants us to think about anything and anyone besides Christ. He's seeking to lead us away from trusting in Jesus. Doesn't even really care that much who it is or what it is, as long as it's not on Christ. Because Christ is our only means for salvation. John's also aware that we live in a world that doesn't acknowledge Jesus for who he is. And that this world, it promotes and it celebrates a life lived apart from trusting in Jesus. That's why if you just turn back in your Bible, just looking over a few verses, what you're going to see John saying is this command. Do not love the world. Don't, don't give your thoughts to the things of this world. Don't be overly consumed with this world. Because the world that he's talking about is everything that is opposed to acknowledging God and Christ Reign and rule over all things. It's a life lived apart from God. But yet we live in this world. We interact with this world all the time. And this world really is tempting. That's why John writes in this letter, don't love this world. That's why he's also writing here, abide in Christ. Remain focused on Jesus. 
putting on those gospel lenses and filtering thoughts and what you see through the good news of Jesus as you look out at this world. And this world is enticing, isn't it? Who in here hasn't been tempted? Who in here isn't tempted at times to just put down the cross for just a moment? To enjoy a little bit of what this world has to offer. To buy into what this world wants us to think about. So that we might find ourselves being accepted a little bit by it. So that we might get promoted. So that we might have a few friends. So we might not be as lonely as we feel at the moment. So we might smile for a second. We all get tempted in many ways in loving this world. But it's dangerous. And that's why John says, don't love this world. That's also why he says, abide in Christ. These temptations, they're real. They're real. So instead of turning away from Christ, we're called to abide in him. Because one day he will appear and we'll find ourselves standing before him face to face. That's a reality for all of us. Imagine that. Let's live our lives in light of this future day because it is a reality where our lives are going to be fully exposed. No more darkness. Nothing hidden. Think about that for a moment. It's a little scary, isn't it? We all have those, those thoughts that roll through our minds that nobody else knows about because they just they go in our minds and they stay there. Sometimes they work their way out. And then sometimes when they work their way out, we try our hardest to hide those things. Some people might know about them because we confess them and we share them with them and they're working with them. But on this day when Christ appears, fully exposed. All of it. Nothing hidden from him. This day is coming. And we find hope and we find confidence for this day. By abiding in Christ, not trusting in ourselves, but trusting in Jesus. Trusting that he lived a perfect life. And he died a sacrificial death for all of our sins. Paying the full penalty, exhausting the wrath of God. So that we might be forgiven. Declared righteous and brought into this right relationship with God and given eternal life. Remaining in that good news, trusting in Jesus and what he's done for us so that when we stand before him, we might not be ashamed. See, this day is coming and it should not surprise any of us. Jesus told us he was coming back. Matthew 24, verse 29 says this, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. And the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call. And they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the earth to the other. That's really going to happen. 1 Thessalonians 5, 
The Apostle Paul wrote about it like this. He said, now concerning the times and the season, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. What he's just saying there, it's coming. Do not be surprised by the second coming or the appearing of Jesus. We, we're called to live today, and we're called to live every day in light of this future day. We don't know exactly when, but we do know it's coming. And then in Revelation 1-7, John wrote the following. He said, Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. So this is going to be a really good day for some people. It's going to be a really bad day for others. Good day for those who trust in Jesus. Who have surrendered their lives to him. Bad day for those who have rejected him. Ignored him. Pushed him away who have not abided in him, who have not been saved by him. See, he's coming back. We will find ourselves standing face to face with him. Again, I want you to imagine this day. I want you to imagine what this day will be like for you if he were to show up today. Would you be excited to see him? Do you feel confident that you could look him in the eyes as your life is fully exposed to him? Is there anything that you'd like to hide from him or cover up with the hope that he wouldn't see it or maybe not ask you about it? God's desire for us as his children is that we would be confident when Christ returns instead of shrinking back in fear and shame from him. He doesn't want us to live out our lives in fear of this day, wondering if we'll be accepted by Jesus or not. Remember, John wrote this letter so that you would know that you believe in him, that you would know that you're saved. See, he wants us to have this solid confidence that we indeed are in Christ and we are prepared by his grace for this final day. Now, why would a Christian feel ashamed and want to shrink back when Jesus returns? I'd say the most likely reason for any of us feeling ashamed and maybe wanting to shrink back from Jesus when he returns would be that he finds us unprepared, meaning not really living out our lives by faith in him alone, but instead living in and maybe loving the sins that he died for. Again, when Jesus returns, he's going to turn the lights on. Everything hidden brought out into the light. Again, going to be scary for some, exciting for others, but it doesn't have to be scary. It doesn't have to be a day where we find ourselves ashamed, shrinking back in fear. Instead, it can be a day where we find ourselves excited and full of great confidence because he comes back and he finds us abiding in Christ remaining in 
Jesus, trusting in Christ for what he has done from us, for us. So the call here really is this, church, abide in Jesus. Don't move away from him. Don't move away from him, but instead remain in him. Study him. Trust him. Pick up your cross and follow him. Don't put that cross down as tempting as it might be at times to maybe get life to be a little bit more comfortable. Don't put that cross down. Trust in Christ. Be ready for his return. Again, we don't know when he's coming back, but we do know he's coming back. And in light of this future reality, may we live today. And may we live every day with this final day in view so that we have nothing to be ashamed of. This leads us to our second point. Abiding in Jesus looks a lot like living your life for Jesus. Abiding in Jesus looks a lot like living your life for Jesus. So how do we know that we've actually been saved by Jesus? Well, John tells us in verse 29, he says, If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. So it's safe to say, right, we we all know that Jesus is righteous, right? He's perfect. He's always done the right thing at the right time with the right amount of effort so that it produces the right results for the glory of God. He, he never has sinned. Came to earth as a baby, grew, and he never sinned. He was perfect in all of his ways. It is who he is. He's righteous. And so what John wants us to know here is that since we know that Jesus is righteous, We may be confident that everyone who seeks to practice righteousness has truly been born again through faith in Jesus. If we truly abide in Christ and he truly abides in us, then by the very nature of this abiding, he's saying we will begin to look more and more like Jesus. Because that's how it kind of works. And so he abides in us, we abide in him. And as he's at work in us, we begin to look more and more like him. Because as I read earlier in Ephesians chapter 2 at the beginning, once we were dead in our sins, but God made us alive through faith in Christ. And when he makes us alive, he changes us. We begin to look different because God is at work in us. He changes us. Christ is at work in us. And as we abide in Christ, we begin to look more and more like Christ. That's what John's getting at there. doesn't mean we're perfect. That's why he says practices righteousness. Christ is righteous. And as we seek to live out our lives by faith and the grace of God, there should be a practice of righteousness. There's this new desire where once you were dead, you didn't have these desires. But by the very nature of the power of the gospel at work in us, it changes us, gives us a new heart with new desires that begin to look like what John's saying here is it begins to look like a person who begins to practice righteousness. Now, this practice of righteousness doesn't save us. It's the righteousness of Christ that saves us. But once we get saved by Christ, it begins this work inside of us where it begins to look like 
practicing righteousness. It's the effect of the good news about Jesus Christ at work in our lives. It means that we're growing in our obedience to God. It means that we're daily seeking to put off sin and put on righteousness and obedience to God. It means that we're making it a habit in our lives to confess our sins. If you remember back to the beginning of 1 John, he just encourages us over and over again that when we sin, we called, we're called to confess our sins because we know that God's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And so part of practicing righteousness is acknowledging our unrighteousness at times, our own sins, and bringing them out into light and confessing them and trusting that God is truly faithful and just to forgive us. And then continuing on to seek to obey the Lord by the grace of God. David Allen writes the following. He says, Our practice of right living gives evidence that we have truly been born into the family of God. It gives evidence that we've truly been born into the family of God. As I've gotten older, I've realized more and more just how much I start to look and act like my dad. I don't know if anybody, as you get older, if you've ever experienced that. And if you're young and you think, no, not me, I said the same thing. And I bet you every older person in here has said the same thing. But there are just those moments where you say something, you're like, wow. I mean, my dad doesn't even live in the same state, and sometimes I just hear him when I start speaking, and it's like, where'd you come from? It's just kind of how it works. Children end up imitating their parents. Good habits and even bad habits just by the very nature of we've, we've just spent a lot of time together, and we got the same DNA sort of running through our bodies In a similar way, John is pointing this out to us in regards to the family of God. If God is our heavenly father and Jesus is our savior who abides in us and us in him, then as time moves on and we grow in our faith, he's saying, you're going to look more and more like Christ. Or you should be looking more and more like Christ. And as you evidence that Christ likeness in your life, it should give you confidence It should give you great hope that you've truly and genuinely been saved by the grace of God because he's at work in you and he's changing you. David Allen again writes the following. He says, the world ought to know you're in the family of God by the way you act. All Christians should live in keeping with Jesus' own righteous character. His character governs his conduct. So should ours. We should live up to our name. This name that he's referring to is Christ's name. You see, we're Christians. We belong to Christ because he died on the cross to save us. If you bear the name of Christ, as David Allen would say, he said, well, then you should live up to your name. It's not your first and last name. It's the name of Christ who lived in your place, who died for you, who you claim to believe in, who you trust shed his blood as payment for your sins, who you acknowledge as Lord and Savior. 
just saying your life should look like his. Again, not perfect. Again, remember, he said practicing righteousness. And again, remember, that doesn't save you. It's Christ who saves you. But if you're saved, we begin to look a little bit more like Christ each and every day by the grace of God. So in closing, let me just ask a few questions. These are for you to just kind of think about. Number one, are you prepared to see Jesus face to face? It's a little frightening, honestly. And a little exciting. May we not shrink back in fear of that day, but instead may we, may we look forward to it with some confidence. Number two, are you abiding in Jesus? Are you trusting in him for your salvation? And are you seeking to follow him? Number three, is there any hidden sin in your life that you just need to be brought out into the light? You just need to confess it. If so, I'd encourage you, confess it, bring it out into the light, and really trust that God is faithful and just, and he will forgive you. That Christ shed his blood for it. Number four, what does practicing righteousness look like for you? Now, when I think about it, I don't, I don't, for me personally, I don't overcomplicate this. I don't want to overcomplicate this for you. What I would just recommend is, is, is when you think about practicing righteousness, it's, it's, it's growing in Christ's likeness. And as you look at your life, or if let's say you looked at my life, you'd probably be able to identify a hundred things. Well, you can grow in this area. You can grow in that area. You can grow over here. You should grow as a dad here. You should grow as a father here. You can grow as a friend here. There, there's a ton of things. And it, it could overwhelm us. But I, what I'm going to recommend, and I, I, think, I think is gracious, and I think in, in some ways in step of what God has called us to do, is, is just pick one thing. Don't overwhelm yourself in having to grow in every area of your life. Trust that this one area will affect other areas of your life. And so questions might be like this. What does practicing righteousness look like for you at school? So that, that could be a simple one, like, I'm, I'm just going to stop cheating on my tests. Or it could be, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show up on time and actually do what my teacher says. I'm going to respect the authority over me. Those are just a few for kids. If you want more help, Phil will help you with that. Right, Phil? Or what does practicing righteousness look like for you at home with your parents? It might, it might, again, be just simple. Like, I'm just going to obey my mom. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to make my bed before I leave. I'm going to clean up after myself. It's just, it's just, what does obedience look like? You have the big biblical principle, obey your parents. Okay, how do you practice that? Or what does practicing righteousness look like for you as a husband? What's just one thing? What's one area as... God's called you to be a husband in your role. What does it look like for you to practice righteousness in that role? Or wives, what does it look like for you to practice righteousness as a wife? Or as parents? What does it look like for you to practice righteousness where you work? Again, I'm not trying to overwhelm you. You don't have to pick every category. Just pick one and practice it. What does it look like for you to practice righteousness in your relationships with one another at church? 
It could be, I'm just going to try to encourage somebody today. Because God calls us to encourage one another daily. So I'm just going to try to encourage one person today. Or it could be something bigger. What does it look like for you to practice righteousness with your relationships with the world around you? Again, the call here is to practice. To pick up a cross, to abide in Christ, to follow him. So that we might have this confidence when he returns. Because church, listen, he's going to return. And may it be a glorious day. And may this day honestly come quickly. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would pour out your spirit upon us. That we might abide in Christ. That we may never turn away from this good news about Jesus Christ. That we wouldn't be caught off guard at your second coming. But instead, Lord, when you return, you'd find us hidden in Jesus. That you'd find us looking more and more like Christ every single day. And that, Lord, we would pursue this by your grace and not in some legalistic way, Lord. But we would be very clear in why we're doing this. And may it be motivated always by your grace. But may it happen. May we all grow. May this church grow. May our friends who are here today, Lord, may they grow in their faith. So that together, Lord, when you return, we all will be found rejoicing in you, in you alone. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for listening. As you leave, may the Lord pour out his spirit upon you. May you experience uh, his mercy and his grace in abundance. Have a blessed Sunday.